welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. It's always nice when Pastor Jake comes up and says nice things about you. That's fine. That'll work. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Hope City. We're so thankful. Uh, I found a workaround for the time change. I just flew west and got to skip the whole time change thing. It stayed the same for me. Skip the snowstorm that was happening back home. Like, this is working out well. I'm also glad to be with you, but I'm here for other reasons, obviously. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I really am. Um, it's, it's funny to me that, that this is my first opportunity here because, as uh, uh, Jake already shared, uh, you guys have been in our hearts for a long time. Uh, we've known uh, Blake and Adrian. I've known Jacob and Jenny and uh, Casey. I, I mean, so this this feels like family to us. And uh, and my wife says hi. She's ministering at home right now. And uh, my son Moses doesn't say hi. And that's he's just rude that way sometimes. But but I know I, one of these days we're going to get to all come together. And I'm excited to just dig into the word with you and dig into what God has. Because I do believe God has something for you. I really know he does. I, 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 I don't know how many of you have ever stood on a stage before and ministered what God had for the people. But I will tell you this. I would never do it if I didn't believe God had something for people. Like if, if I just felt like this is a job we got to do or, or, you know, we need to fill time or, or maybe I just want to hear my voice, it wouldn't be worth it. But if you really believe that God has something for people, this makes it fun. It makes it exciting. So I'm excited. I want you to just o- open a Bible, if you've got one, uh, to the book of Matthew. And I want to read something real quick that's kind of going to be a launching point for the rest of the service. Um, to give you some background on what we're about to read, Jesus uh, had a discussion with his disciples where he talked about the harvest field. He talked about how the world was ready, how, in fact, they kind of looked at life and looked at the rest of the world like, um, you know, that, that, that maybe people weren't ready for the message or maybe there needed to be more work done. But Jesus said, actually, the harvest field is ready to be harvested. I don't know if you've used that term about people before, but we were all in that field and someone had to come and get us. Jesus found us. We were, somebody planted a seed in us. Somebody said something. Somebody, or you read something. God put something in you that eventually led to you being here. Eventually led to you coming to Jesus. And so Jesus actually says to his disciples, and he says it more than once, but he says, you know, the harvest is plentiful. There is a whole world out there that is ready for the message you have, that is ready for the life you have. And he tells them, here's what you need to do. He says, you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the fields. He doesn't say pray that people get ready because he says people are already ready. He doesn't say pray that that God would somehow bring them into the church. No, he says we're going to go find them. But he says pray that God would send people. Now, some of you might be old-time church people. Some, some of you might be new to this whole thing. Let me tell you something from, from someone who's grown up in church. We have used this scripture to get out of a lot of responsibility. Just, I mean, to, just to be honest. When someone is on your heart, God puts someone on your heart, and you're like, oh, man. I know they need Jesus. I know that he wants them to know who he is and what he has for them. Then there's this stirring in you like, you should go. You should go find him. 
You should go help them. You should go tell them. And here's what we do. Here's how we get out of it. Lord, send laborers into their path. Like, you're going to see them in five minutes. And you're like, Lord, send laborers into their path. Mm. Laborers, Lord. And you just hear this poking. It's you. No, no, Lord. Laborers into their path. You're praying it while you're bumping into them. You're praying while they're in the other room. Lord, laborers, I don't know where they're coming from, Lord. They could come from China. They could come from Africa. But laborers, Lord, I'm interceding for them right now, Lord. He says, well, why don't you tell them something? Why don't, why don't you go and, 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 you know, offer a little bit of what you've got rolling inside of you. Lord, Lord, my part is to pray, Lord. I'm going to tell you what my part is. My part is to pray. Your part is to send someone else because I'm an introvert. You have extroverts. They're weird. But I know you have them. Send an extrovert across their path. Well, it's interesting that when Jesus said pray that God would send laborers, here's what he does. As soon as he says that, his next words are, go therefore. Ouch. See, the problem with praying is sometimes your prayers are answered. and In fact, always your prayers are answered, but sometimes you're the answer. Sometimes God uses you to answer the prayer you just prayed. And so when Jesus says, pray that God would send laborers, he goes, okay, and now I'm sending you. And so here's what happened. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease, even diseases they didn't know about, even diseases that just came up, every kind. Right? Every strain, every kind. He says, and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. Simon, who's called Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. There'll be a quiz later. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. And Thaddeus, Simon the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Verse 5, this is what we're getting to. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. Don't go in the way of the Gentiles. Don't enter any city of the Samaritans, so they're on a specific mission, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach. Like as you go, preach. He doesn't say you got to find the nearest synagogue meeting. He doesn't say you need to find, you know, where the church is. No, he says as you go, like as you run into people, as you, as you are given opportunity, preach. And here's what you're supposed to preach. He says preach this. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here's what you do when you preach. You don't just say it. He says you should heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you've received, now freely give. One of the reasons I picked this translation, which is, you know, I, one of my favorites, but it's, it's also very trustworthy. One of the reasons I picked it is because some translations word it this way. You receive without charge, give without charge. And I think that's part. That's, that's true. That's part of the freely you've received, now freely give. But I believe the freely receiving, the freely giving is more than just, I don't charge for this. We received without limit. We received without condition. We received even without qualification. And now we give. We, we, we give without charge. We give without limit. We give without saying, well, I'll give this to you if you give this to me. No, he said, you, the way you received is you had nothing to offer, and God gave it. You had nothing to give back, and God freely gave it. Now that's how you give. You receive freely, now give freely. And I just want to say something real quick. Is that a lot of us struggle with freely giving because we've never learned how to freely receive. 
If you don't believe you've received from God, if you don't believe you have something to give, you'll be in that moment where you know people need something and you have nothing to offer. Can I just put this out there? You have something from God. You have nothing and you have everything. Because the greatest reality is one of the things that he taught them right away. He said, when you leave, don't bring anything with you. I mean, he put them on a mission. Can you imagine the intimidation they might have felt? Being put in a position where they had to fully trust God. They've been following Jesus around. I don't know about you, but if I was following Jesus physically around, he could say anything and I would trust him. He could say, we're going to jump off this cliff. And I'd be like, well, if you're doing it, I'm doing it. But if he sent them out and he said, I'm going to stay here, you guys go. All of a sudden there's this feeling of, but, well, I don't have what he has. I can't offer what he has to offer. There's, you know, if Jesus were with me, I could do this. But if he's staying back and he's sending me, they're getting the B team. Not even the B team. They're getting like the Z team. They're, they're not getting the premium quality ministry that Jesus has to offer. We, we do this thing in North America where we, we use stages and microphones. And we wrongly assume that a stage and a microphone means you're the minister. Or rather that you're the only minister. Rather than, I, yes, I am a minister, but I'm a minister ministering to people who are going to do ministry. I'm a minister to ministers. Because the Bible says that this is for equipping the saints for the work of ministry, right? That's what we're doing. And the word ministry is actually a word just means servant. But, but here's the implication that when I hear that, when I think about ministry, I think about a waiter. A waiter doesn't prepare your food. A waiter doesn't reach in his pockets and see if he has what you ordered. I don't know if I'd take it if he did. I mean, you don't order something and the waiter goes, gosh, I can't make that. Can you order something easier? No, what they do is they go to the back. Someone else is making it. What they do is they go and they get it and they bring it to you. I have nothing to offer this morning that doesn't come from God. Now, to some, that sounds, oh, he's trying to be extra humble. And to some, that sounds extra arrogant. How dare you think you have something from God? That's the only way we can live, guys. That's the only way believers should ever do any ministry. Sometimes our worst enemy as a minister is the belief that we're competent. Our own competency is our worst enemy. I mean, when I first started out preaching, let me tell you something. I first started out preaching, Saturday nights were torture. I would be on the floor going, God, please, please give me something. God, God, give me more. Um, Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. I mean, I would panic. I would hope that the church service would get canceled. I was worried about what was going to happen. Now, fear is not of God. I'm not saying that was good, but I am saying I had a great dependence on God. I knew I needed him. Thank God the fear went away, faith rose, fear left, but I'll tell you what was good about that was that I knew I had nothing if he didn't have everything. I knew I didn't have anything that didn't come from him. Well, the thing is, when you get up, you know, like, for, for years, there would be, I'd be preaching four services a week, different sermons each time, and you preach that often, you start to think you can preach well. You start to think, I've got enough in the ammo case that you could just call me up, name a topic, I could preach it. Which our youth group has done sometimes. When, when the senior pastor, me, visits the youth group, they're like, hey, can you do this thing where we, we name a song title and you preach a two-minute sermon based on the song title? And they think it's hilarious. But you just start to think, I, I, I can do anything. Which 
sounds good and might fool a few people, but has no power to it. Because what God's drawing from is not your acumen. What God's drawing from is not your ability to communicate or your ability to pray in in a way that sounds strong and bold. What God is drawing from is not even your natural talent pool, although he'll use it. What he's drawing from is what he's given. And what he's given did not come from you. So he puts these people in a situation where he says, I want, to leave, I want you to leave your money behind. I want, to meet your, I want you to leave your extra coats behind. I want you to step out in faith and do stuff you don't think you can do. I mean, on a training mission, why don't you just tell them, do a devotional with some people. Have a Bible study. He starts out their first trip. He says, okay, part of your mission is to raise the dead. Can you imagine? Step one, raise the dead. Like, I mean, I know they've been kind of doing ministry around Jesus, but this is their first solo trip. Your first solo trip, you feel like maybe you should go easy on us. Let us take some money. Let us take some gift cards. Let us, let us feel like we have a, a net to fall into. Jesus just sends them out and says, you're ready. And it starts with the first verse in this chapter. He says, Jesus summoned them and gave them authority. He gave them something, then he reminded them, and and this is the reminder I need to hear. You received freely. Now give it freely. See, if, if we can keep this in mind in every situation, what I have to give was given to me. Even when I don't know it's been given. I have the Spirit of God. I have everything he has. This is the most powerful thing that, that's changed my life is the realization. As you go through the scripture, and I know this sounds Pretty easy and simple and straightforward, but it should be. Is that we are the body of Christ. So Jesus is not doing ministry like one of those guys who has a head on an iPad on a stand that just rolls around and, and, and is controlled by remote control. Jesus is not a head on a robot. Jesus is the head, and we are his body. Now, ministry has to have the head involved. We have to have the head. We have to know where we're getting our orders from. We have to know where we're getting our leadership from. But listen, if Jesus wants to hug someone, he's going to use you. If Jesus wants to heal someone, often, almost all the time, he uses people. Even in the Bible, even in the New Testament, when people are being brought to Jesus, the Apostle Paul is a great example. Jesus meets them on the road, tells them who he is, And then says, go find this guy. He's going to lead you to the Lord. Jesus, you're right here. Why don't you do it? You'd probably do it better than everybody. Jesus says, no, go to this guy, and this guy will show you how to get saved. God uses people. God uses people. And so if you believe that God is going to use people and that we're his body, and the Bible says we're the fullness, we are the fullness of him, who fills everything, is in everything. If Jesus wants to fill Abbotsford, if Jesus wants to fill Chilliwack, he's going to use his people to do it. So I want you to see this in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 3, there's this great moment where what's been happening to the church begins to spill out. Some of you will already know that in Acts chapter 2, it's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and fills the church. So the church is not really the church until the day of Pentecost. That's the birth of the church. And I grew up calling this the early church all the time, right? We need to get back to the days of the early church. The problem, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the problem with the way I viewed it was, 
When I kept calling the church of the Bible the, the early church, I almost treated it like it was a different church. Like they had powers we don't have, or they had skills, or they had some sort of advantage. The early church is still just the church. Time has changed, but the church hasn't changed. We still carry that same spirit. We still carry that same anointing. We still carry the same mission. And so there's a moment where Peter and John are going to the temple because the Bible says they still, even though they met together regularly, they still went to the temple and they still worshiped there and they still ministered to people there. And it says in in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, which was the hour of prayer. And a man who'd been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms, in other words, he's asking for money, of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, how many of you know that's a good gig? If you're going to ask people for money, do it right in front of church. That's the best place. Get people when they feel most guilty about saying no, right? So this guy's got a good spot. Because it's pretty hard to say no to the crippled guy and then go inside and say, Lord, you have my heart. You know what I mean? Like, this is a great opportunity. This guy's scoped out a good spot. He probably had to fight some people off to get this, but he's here. Peter and John are going in. And it says he's asking for money. Now, this is, you, you have to understand, he can't just get a desk job somewhere. In his day and age, if you didn't have the use of your legs, there's not a lot you could do. This is, this is probably the only way he can support himself. And if he has a family, it's the way he has to support his family. Like, this is, this is his life. He's not just, he's just not a leech on society. This is genuinely how he's had to live. And so I bet there's compassion for a man like this. I bet there's a whole lot of people that say, you know, listen, we can't, we can't make your legs better, but we can, we can help you out for a while. And what happens here is he asks Peter and John for money. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. Already you've lost the introverts in the room, right? We, we don't want people to look at us. You know, look somewhere else. Look at us. Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Walk. And seizing him by the right hand. Now here's where we lose most of us. Honestly, if God told you to, like, pray for somebody that couldn't walk, we all know how we do that, most of us. If it's in an airport or something, you just, like, quietly go and act like you're just standing near them. Jesus, Lord Jesus, I just pray Heal this man in Jesus' name. Kind of, like, open your eye to see if anything's happening. Oh, they don't even know you're praying for them. In Jesus' name, oh, God, Lord, just touch them, Lord. And even our prayer is wimpy, like, Lord, just maybe if you want to touch them, Lord, maybe just kind of, you know, maybe just a little, I don't know, maybe like if you just, you know, we find ourselves pleading with God, God, you know, God, you know, God, you know how much this is hard for him. Yeah, God knows. Yeah, God's aware. God, you know, like we're trying to talk him into it, like he's like, I hate healing people, but God, this one, this one, Lord, please, you know it's hard. He, he likes to heal people. Settle that, you'll settle a whole lot. He likes to save people. He wants heaven full. If you settle that, it'll help you in ministry. It'll help you in life. If you settle that God loves people more than you do, boom. You'll do a lot of stuff you never would do. You're not talking God into being good. He's better. Right? If you just know that, 
I mean, I remember a, a mentor of mine said, he said he so struggled when he was praying for people at the end. You pray for people at the end of the service, and, and he just felt like, oh, man, did I pray enough last night? Did I, did I fast enough? Oh, God, am I praying the right prayer? Am I doing it the right way? And he said, the moment I realized that God wants to heal people and he's just using me to do it, he said all of a sudden people were healed. He said everything changed because he realized I'm not talking God into something. God's using me for something he wants to do. Peter and John are full of the Spirit. So they, here's the, the thing. The Bible says the Holy Spirit knows what God has in his heart. He knows even the depths of God. So Peter and John are full of that spirit that led Jesus around. He's, they're full of the spirit that empowered Jesus. They're full of the spirit. What does the Bible say that Holy Spirit is? It is a spirit of love. It is a spirit of power. It is a spirit of a sound mind, a disciplined mind. So this is a spirit of love. Jesus healed people not because he just needed to prove something. You can prove something by killing people too. He could say like, hey, cleanse of leprosy, cleanse of leprosy. Now you have leprosy. <laughs> can you see? I got power. He could have knocked a mountain down. He could have done a lot. Of, he could have torched cities. Why is every work of power that Jesus did proof of his love? Because he didn't just show the power of God. He showed the nature of God. So Peter and John meet this guy, and they say, we don't have what you're asking for. See, most of us in that situation would feel ill-equipped, would feel inadequate. I don't have what people need. But here's something that you need to realize. Not everybody knows what they need. I didn't know what I needed. God knows what I need, but I don't know. You see, what we think we need is a lot short. It falls a lot shorter than, than what God has for you. I mean, it's... it's, it's we, we, we try to budget it. We try to say, like, maybe I, if I just had this, I'd be okay. But God is just so good. And this man says, you know what I could use is some money. And he's right. But Peter says, I don't have what you're asking for. But what I have, I'm going to give to you. I want you to just, because this is really the core of what we're going to talk about, what we're talking about today. I want you to hear that phrase, what I have. What I have. He's, he's not just saying, I'll check with the big man. He's not just saying, well, maybe we'll throw up a, some dice to heaven and see if they come up aces. That's mixing metaphors. <laughs> Never been to Vegas, right? <laughs> Snake eyes, whatever. Maybe, maybe we'll just try this and see if it works. He says, uh, I have something for you. What does it take for someone to believe they have something so supernatural and so extraordinary? What does it take for you to believe that? See, Peter and John were full of the Spirit of God. And, and 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that the Holy Spirit knows what God has, knows what God wants, knows the will of God. When none of us could guess the will of God, the Spirit knows the will of God. And it says, that's the Spirit we've been given. So that we would know the things freely given to us by God. See, you have the Holy Spirit within you. When you came to Jesus, there is a spirit that he gave you. And I believe in being full of the spirit of God. I believe in being baptized, dunked, immersed in the spirit of God. And it says when we are, we know what God's given us. And God doesn't just give you anything just so you can have it. God gives you something so you can give away. Right? I mean, yeah, he gives, you, he gives things that are for you, for your family. I get that. But, but everything I've been blessed with has been able to be a blessing to someone else. And there's stuff I'm carrying that I don't even know I'm carrying. But because I have him, I have everything. You know, Peter and John say, I don't have what you want. For most of us, that's the point where we walk away. I don't have what you're asking for. I'm sorry. 
Maybe I can go back and we can find something. But Peter and John know it's not what you're asking for that we have. It's what God told us we have. And they, he does something insane. Because like I said, if I were him, I'd just kind of quietly. Just but Peter not only says it loudly, not only makes the man look at him, but grabs him by the hand and yanks him up. Folks, there's a lawsuit waiting to happen. If this doesn't work, you just threw the poor guy across the room. If this doesn't work, he's going to be real mad that you grabbed him by the hand, yanked him. Oh, man. Peter was so confident that he could, listen, most of the time in the book of Acts, when they, or even in the Gospels, when someone comes and says, I want to be healed, Jesus gives them a command. Go make up your bed and walk. Go wash out your eyes in this pool. Go do something. Because in that action of obeying, our faith is put to work, right? Like we, that's, the, that's the spark. Okay, I'm going to do what you said. In this case, Peter doesn't tell him to do anything. He tells him to get up and walk. But this man didn't come to Peter asking to be healed. This man had no expectation of what God was going to do. Peter is doing this on his expectation. And he grabs the man, he pulls him up, and the man walks, leaps, and praises God. I don't know if you've read the story, but at the end of this story, 5,000 men come to Jesus. 5,000 men who probably went home to their families and brought them to Jesus. All because Peter and John said, I have something. I don't have what you're asking for, but I have something better. When I was, um, I some of you may, may not know this, probably most of you don't, but I, I pastor a church. I pastor two churches, one in Lloydminster and one in a place called Loon Lake. Loon Lake is on the border as a town, and then there's the reserve, is Makwasagayagan Reserve. It's a Cree reserve. I grew up with those people. Most of our church are the people from Makwasagayagan Reserve. So my dad was very fluent in Cree, taught, and uh, actually brought him into the reserves to teach syllabics and to teach the language. So these are my friends, my brothers and sisters that I grew up with, and that's the church I pastor there. And uh, I don't know if you saw on the news, but a few months ago we were hit with an, a, a suicide epidemic. And it was all the kids that were taking their own lives. And we've been through this before, and we know that when one does it, um, a chain reaction is often uh, on its way. And it's, it's partly just social. It's partly because if you're already depressed and your friend or your cousin or somebody that's very close to you takes their life, there's the guilt, there's the, uh, you know, all these things that would push you further to the edge. But there's also a very strong spiritual element. These kids kept telling us what they were seeing at night. Um, they were seeing things they couldn't explain. They were hearing voices telling them to do things. There was a strong spiritual element. And, and, and the, the one death that really took the community um, by storm and really was the one that the nation heard about was a 10-year-old girl who took her life. And the family had called me to the house before the, um, before the authorities came and took her body. So she was still there. And uh, had asked me to come and help them and pray with them. And so I was there. And uh, prayed with the family and prayed in that space. Because the, the mother was just so worried, like, how am I going to go through life? How am I going to do my laundry? How, how am I going to just go on? And the next morning, they had invited me to the school just to spend the morning in her classroom. Because her 10-year-old kids feel guilty. They feel like they did this. They feel like they could have stopped it. So I spent the morning with that class just praying for them, just talking to them. And then there was a meeting 
There was a meeting of social workers, doctors, teachers, and me. And I just stayed quiet because this wasn't my meeting. But I felt so inferior in, in, in the group of these people who had been trained for this. I felt like, well, I, I mean, I don't, I've been trained with the same training that you guys are. I mean, they're, they're using phrases that they've gone over and over and over again. And there was this moment where I, you know, because I want to serve, because I want to help, then my attitude sometimes as a servant is to say, what do you need? I can do that, right? What do you need, what do you need me to be? I can be that. But there's a thin line between being a servant and pleasing people and fearing people rather than fearing God. And so I'm, I'm kind of chameleoning it. I'm adapting and I'm becoming a bit of a social worker here. And I heard this voice inside me. I did not call you to be a social worker. I thank God for social workers. We have social workers in our church. But that's not what I am. That's not what God told me to do. I'm just adapting to it because this is what they're telling me they need. We need more people doing this social work. I'm here. I'm able-bodied. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm able to do this. I can, I can volunteer. All right, what can I do? And God said, that's not what I called you to do. So I, I leaned down to one of the teachers who happens to go to our church, and I said, we've got something we can do. And we gathered in the hall, all the teachers that were believers, we gathered in the hall, and I said, I believe we can start something in this community. And, and right in that little huddle, we, we read this scripture and we prayed. And God started from there. A couple days later, we did a prayer walk through the entire community over the four corners of that community with believers from that reserve and reserves all around. It made the news. There was something happening there. And what we saw is all the kids after that that tried to take their lives failed. Then the next step, praise God. Then the next step is less kids were attempting to the point where kids weren't seeing what they were seeing before. And all of that happened because we had to come to our senses and say, what they're asking for is not what we have. And what we have didn't come from us, but what we have we're going to give you. And I want to just tell you that you're going to come across situations without a microphone, without a stage, where you are in situations where people have a great need that they may not even be aware of. And you have something. You're not asking for it. Now listen, if you're lacking it, ask, right? The Bible says if you need wisdom, ask. If there's something you say, I need this, God, I, 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 need, I know there's a need and I don't think I have it, just ask him. But you have the spirit of God. You have the name of Jesus. And within that is everything. So Jesus sent out his disciples with nothing and with everything. And said, go do this. <laughs> I went to a baseball game with my brother-in-law in Philadelphia. The Philly, Philadelphia Phillies were playing. And uh, uh, baseball tickets are a lot cheaper than Canucks tickets, let me tell you. So we got these, these seats that were just like seven rows up, third baseline. And, uh, I mean, right between third base and home plate. Great seats. And there's a lady that's about three rows down from us. And uh, a bat broke and hurtled towards her. And the sharp end of the bat, boom, skewered, skewered her in the chest. Now, my, my brother-in-law is actually a doctor. So Matthew is about to get up. But then he sees stadium uh, uh, um, emergency staff and doctors are coming down. And they're, they're, they're with that girl right now. They're helping her right now. So Matthew just backs off because he realizes they got it covered. And all of a sudden, 
we see this guy come from the top of, like he's coming from way up, and he's fighting to get down to this woman. He's fighting to get down, and, and the, and the uh, stadium staff are holding him back, and he's, he says, hey, I just want to, I just want to. And we find out he's got a hot dog in his hand. And he says, I just want to give her a hot dog. We look at him and go, she just got skewered in the chest by a bat. He wants to give her a hot dog. She doesn't need a hot dog. She, she's being tended to by doctors. And he's like, but I got a hot dog for her. And I, <laughs> we're all just kind of like not sure whether to laugh or yell at the dude. Like, what's wrong with you? And honestly, this is how I feel. Plenty of times there's situations. I feel like I'm a guy with someone bleeding out, and I've got a hot dog. And here I am, have a hot dog. That's not what she needs. She may be the world's biggest hot dog fan. But she doesn't need a hot dog. She needs a doctor. <laughs> you got to understand what we have sometimes we don't think, we think all I've got is a hot dog. I'm sure this guy feels like, well, this is all I have. I just want to help, and this is what I have. I have a hot dog. I can use that. I've even heard people that, that I've even heard someone say, well, what do you have? You know, and I, do you have $2? Give $2. I get that, and God will use that attitude. God uses that plenty of times. But I also want you to consider what you have may be the very thing you're sure you don't have. Because many of us are going to walk into a situation and we're like, boy, I wish Pastor Jake was here. I wish Jenny was here. I, I, I wish that this person I watch on TV was here. Oh, I wish this person were here. But they're not. You are. What you really are asking is God here. Is the Holy Spirit here? Is Jesus here? The same Jesus that did all these miracles, is he here? And if he is, I need to be more aware of Jesus. I need to be more aware of the Spirit of God than I am of the people right in front of me. Because Peter and John, it's the fear of the Lord, the awareness that God is here. They are more aware of the Spirit than they are of the man who says, this is what I need. They are aware of the Spirit saying, this is what you have for him. I want you to consider that one of the great miracles that Jesus did was this feeding 5,000 men and their families with a basket full of bread and fish. There's two things that stand out. And the first thing is, I wonder, if you don't know the story, there were 5,000 men and their families were gathered in an isolated place. Jesus had purposely gone somewhere isolated. And they were gathered there, and Jesus was going to feed them. And the disciples acted like he was crazy because there was nowhere to find food. And what happened was is that Jesus told them, you feed them. And they said, well, where are we going to buy food? There's nowhere around. We found an isolated place. You told us to go somewhere isolated. And a little boy comes up and offers them a basket. Have you ever considered why a little boy was the one that offered a basket? I don't think he's the only guy there that has some food. I think he's the only guy there who's naive enough to say, I will give what I have, even though it doesn't seem like enough. He's the, because, you know, here's what we do. If there's a great need, we go, I don't have the means to meet that need. But a little boy has faith. This is not enough. But in Jesus' hands, who knows? In Jesus' hands, sure it is. And I want you to consider that what you have sometimes is a seed that will grow into something. We have to believe that God is able to use what he's put in us even when we feel terribly inadequate. 
this basket doesn't feel like enough. This fish, this bread doesn't feel like enough. And I want to see one more thing from that story is that Jesus handed the food to the disciples and said, now you break it. Now you pass it out. Jesus could have done the miracle, but he chose to use his disciples. Jesus wants to do miracles through you. He wants to, there's love that you have that you don't know you have. Do you know that? There's people that, you, that hate you. There's people that despise you. And there is a love that you can access that you couldn't conjure up with warm fuzzies and nice feelings and, and a good song. There is a love that he has for people that flows through you. And you say, what I have, I have received freely. The Bible says, I love, we love, because he first loved us. Everything you have to give is coming from the one who has everything. So literally, in every situation, you have nothing to offer, and you have everything to offer. The sooner we realize that, I've got nothing, but I have everything, because I have him. I've got more than enough. Hey, look, if I got, Pastor Jacob mentioned the woman who had like a couple of coins. That was more than enough. Your words that you say, you go, I'm not eloquent. I, I don't know how to put a sermon together. I don't know how to pray well. I can't help this person. Sure you can. I don't have the power to heal. No, you don't. None of us do. But Jesus does. And he gave you the authority. That means you do have the power. I want you to consider that there is someone who needs something and they don't even know it. You're probably going to meet them today, tomorrow, this week. The fun part about it is the more you say yes, the more you see it. The more you say yes to God, the more you see that God is putting you in situations to say yes. It's addictive. It's addictive. You go, I didn't know I could be used by God. But God loves to use people that no one else would pick. God loves to use people that have no discern. I'm sorry, I don't mean to insult you. But God loves to use losers. You're not a loser, you're a winner, but... He loves to use people that, that feel like, I got nothing. Paul insulted a whole city by saying, when you guys got saved, not many of you were too bright. Not many of you were too strong. Not many of you were too sophisticated. Call them a bunch of dumb, wimpy hillbillies. But God used you. To show, the Bible says later, we have this treasure in a clay vessel to show that this power is from God and not of us. So I want to leave something with you this morning as we open up to the Lord. I want you to embrace an assignment that's already been given to you that you may not be aware of. I want you to embrace that you have something. Not that you're asking for it. You can ask for it, but you have something. And I want us to pray together right now. If you close your eyes with me. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.